Welcome to Moving Forward. I'm your host, Lynn Swanner. On this podcast, I'll interview forward-thinking Christian school leaders and educators on best practice, innovative approaches, and new opportunities in Christian education. Today, my guest is Elizabeth Dombrowski, who is the Executive Director of CLC Network, where she serves as a champion for inclusion in schools and churches. Beginning at a young age, Elizabeth says she experienced the beauty of communities that recognize and celebrate the diverse gifts of all. After serving at the Adler Planetarium for nine years in fundraising and operations, she joined CLC Network in 2012, returning to an organization tied to her own family history. Her calling to CLC Network and lifelong advocacy for places of belonging help her to lead this organization, which is transforming school communities across the country. Hi, Elizabeth. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Lynn, for having me. Let me start off by inviting you to define the word inclusion for our listeners. You know, of course, different educators and certainly different schools, even organizations define that term differently. How do you define it? And can you talk a bit about the rationale for your definition? Sure. You know, we've been doing inclusive education in Christian schools for a very long time, for actually about 30 years next year. So we have learned a few things about and had to define that over the years in different ways. And one of the biggest themes that we try to focus on when we're talking about inclusion is building the supports and the program that are right for each student. So we have to get to know the student to do that. And then we have to build all of the supports around that student based on what we know about that student and what we know about best practices. So that said, from the individual perspective, uh, from a program perspective, we focus on two themes to define inclusion. Because I think oftentimes inclusion can sound a little scarier than it is in terms of saying, well, inclusion is a kid doesn't get any pullouts. So that's not necessarily the case. Students who need pullouts should get pullouts uh, as appropriate within the context of these two themes, and that's friendship and ownership. Um, I'll start with ownership because that one is, well, they're both pretty easy to grasp, but ownership is the sense that a student belongs in their general education classroom. So in the yearbook, where they put their coat, what locker they have, is their general education teacher. And in that sense, they belong to their classmates too. Um, And that's the piece of community that we're trying to build. So a student is owned by their classmates, by their teacher, um, by their general education teacher with support from the resource room or the educational support person or the special educator in the building who is making sure that they are getting what they need in that classroom. Um, And then the second piece is friendship of making sure that we're intentionally fostering social inclusion as well as that academic inclusion. You know, our vision is for communities of belonging that reflect this beautiful body of Christ. To do that, we sometimes need a little bit more information about each other. Um, And so what we do is we like to pull together circles of friends who can get to know each other as students and as children of God um, and be able to speak truth and love to each other. Those are often facilitated by a special educator or by a volunteer or a parent or by us. But the whole idea is to be able to give peers the information they need, give a student the information they need, and help everyone work through what social inclusion will look like for this student. 
And one of the questions we ask in those circles of friends is, you know, how many sleepovers have you been to? And sometimes we'll ask that of a, a student without any disabilities and they'll say, oh yeah, I was at one last week or I've been at, you know, two this year. And then we ask the student with a disability and they'll say, you know, I, I haven't been invited to a sleepover yet. And that just helps everyone open their eyes to what community means and what we want to be as followers of Christ. So when we talked leading up to the podcast, you mentioned to me the puzzle piece perspective that really informs and undergirds your view of inclusion. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, When we talk about puzzle piece, what we're really talking about is who we believe we are. Who are we as, as Christians? Who are we as a community? And who are our students as learners? And the puzzle piece perspective is, is one way we bring our beliefs to the conversation in order to act on them. We talk about this a lot in churches uh, as well as schools, but we have a series of puzzle pieces printed, actually, that are half pink and half green. And we talk about being knit together in the womb by God. And that we are all knit together with pink and green as a metaphor. Pink representing our weaknesses and green representing our strengths. And there are no all pink people and there are no all green people. But there are different levels of visibility that we have to our strengths or our weaknesses and, and who we are as a whole. But when we hold those puzzle pieces up together and say that they are representative of each one of us, So picture us holding two puzzle pieces. When one goes away, it's not the puzzle piece that is gone that that is the only one that lost out. It is both. It is all of us who have lost out because we need each other to complement one another um, and to to be the body of Christ in a more full way. Um, And so that's one way we we begin by thinking about what we are missing as a school community, as a church community, um, when people with disabilities or with with intellectual disabilities or medically fragile or, you know, aging disabilities are not with us. Um, At this point, the statistics show that almost 20% of the population has a disability of some kind. And then we look around our churches and our schools and wonder, okay, so, so where are they if they're not here? And who are we missing? So that's one of the, the biggest questions and the, the images that we want to share, that this isn't just something that nice that we're doing for somebody else, but this is, this is what's, what we need to be whole. Uh, you know, you have a lot of resources on your website. We'll, we'll provide some links in the podcast notes for listeners who want to access them. One of the ones that I want to highlight and that I found particularly interesting and, and I think having been a school leader would be very helpful to review was that working with a team of experts across the country, uh, the CLC network developed the Christ-Centered Educational Services Standard. And that leads to an endorsement. Uh, there are indicators and rubrics, again, that are available on your website and we'll post those links. And I want to go ahead and read the standard for our listeners um, and then ask you some questions based on that. So the standard says a Christ-centered school, which fully includes children and young people of all abilities, creates a culture that equips each pupil to actively contribute in the life of the school community. Then with that standard, there are three categories of indicators. You have community, collaboration, culture, 
And I would add, I think there's really a fourth C that ties them all together, which is commitment. Can you give us sort of the big picture understanding of those categories and why they're important for Christian school? I would love to. This is a, a fun document for us because we want to see it get into the hands of as many people as possible. We want to see people use it um, and we want to see it become a tool. So the, the community piece, um, and we, we were actually torn. Uh, I thought it was funny that you added a fourth C because uh, we were torn about community versus commitment because commitment is right up there in the community piece. So making an intentional and comprehensive commitment to all learners you know, when we say we are a community, we want to define that. We want to say this is, this is who we are. Um, and when inclusion works really well, it, it becomes that identity piece. And it is linked to our faith. There's a great line from Scott Danforth in his book, How to Be an Inclus- a Great Inclusive Educator, where he talks about the gap between our beliefs and our practices. And he says, you know, as, as teachers, as educators, we got into this because of what we believe about students. And then we are, we are equipped through training and, and a life of tools in our pockets, but those tools don't always match up to our beliefs and we don't always have all the tools we need to act on our beliefs. And so the best inclusive educators, he says, toil within that gap, recognize it, work within it, and strive to do better. And so that's really what this accreditation document is meant to do as well, is to help us identify those beliefs, be inspired by them, keep them before us, um, and recognize that we're trying to live them out in a way that's authentic. And so the, the community piece goes through a number of portions, um, and, but it's really about making that commitment to all learners. You know, what does it mean to be a student of your school? Is there an admissions test if a student has a concussion in middle school or in high school and suddenly can't perform to the same standards? Is there an assurance that they will continue to be a part of your community? And and that's really the focus of that section. Uh, Collaboration gets into some of the nuts and bolts of how we work together to support every student. Um, Lots of best practices in there. for school communities in general, but just making sure that when we talk about educating students also that we're talking about educating a whole student. When we work with students who are on modified curriculums, we look at seven areas of development and that's academic, social, vocational, life skills, and especially spiritual. All students are in your school for the Christian aspect. And how do we um, make sure that students at any level of academic ability are getting that first and foremost. And then the final section is the culture piece, um, that we've developed a culture of belonging, that students and parents and staff know that this community is around them. Um, And I think that's a powerful recruitment tool. You know, I don't know when I'm enrolling my kids in preschool, I don't know what their development is going to be. I don't know what their level of achievement is going to be. But I see that school serving students of all abilities, and I know that they will serve my kid too. So I think that's a powerful message too. So we're trying to wrap these all together to, to help paint a picture of inclusion in a Christian school. It doesn't have to look like exactly like a public school but we do know there are some common themes about it. You mentioned in that description how often our beliefs about inclusion may not line up with our actual practices in Christian schools. And I think that often the question of funding 
plays a part in that. So we might believe one thing about inclusion uh, and how uh, we want to really uh, provide that kind of community for students of all backgrounds and all abilities, but our funding models or a lack of resources can really present a challenge. Can you share with us how you talk about the funding question with schools? I'm glad you asked because this is um, one of the biggest hurdles that face all of us, whether we're doing inclusion or not, right? <laughs> There's a couple of pieces to that. So when I asked my predecessor, Bear, um, Bear Barons, what his proudest moment in 36 years of leading this organization was, he shared the moment when all schools implemented tuition equity. And tuition equity to us means that parents of students with disabilities pay no more in tuition than any other student. In, in some places that's normal, in some places it's not. But one of the ways that we were able to convince everyone of that is that this is living out our beliefs. This is who we are. Again, that commitment piece. Um, and say, saying, why would we create another hurdle for a student with a disability to attend our school and to bless our community with their gifts? It's often also compared to athletics or other pieces of what a school community is and, and what it means and what we charge for and what we don't. And I think that's, that's another powerful message to parents. It's another recruitment piece. One of the big things we talk about with schools who are considering a student with higher needs is where are their siblings? If you have one student in a family of four and you can't serve that one student, I think often you will lose the other three enrollments as well. And that, that's not a sustainable vision for Christian schools to be strong in the future. I, I think our future of Christian education is inclusive for no other reason than that <laughs> um, and our beliefs. And it's a pretty compelling argument on paper when you look at siblings as well. Um, and then there's the, there's the fundraising piece. Um, we are nonprofits. And part of the great advantages of being a nonprofit is inviting the community into what you're doing to be a part of it and to fulfill their calling for being a light, for being God's light to the world. And so when we don't invite donors into that identity and link it back to our belief, I think it's a hugely missed opportunity. And so I encourage schools to fundraise to be inclusive. And it might be something as simple as, hey, here's your tuition. This is what it costs. Uh, would you like to make an, an extra contribution to, to ensure learning for students of all abilities? Um, and so talking about that commitment, because it is in many ways countercultural, it is really compelling for donors, and it is something that you'll get a lot of response on, particularly if you as a school have made a commitment to inclusion as part of your identity. I think that's tremendously helpful uh, for our listeners and really aligning what they believe about inclusion and also their practices and, and making it reachable uh, and attainable. And along those lines, what would you suggest as next steps for school leaders, for educators who are listening, and either they want to get started thinking about how to create an inclusive educational community at their schools, or maybe they've already started the thinking process, but they're not sure from a practical standpoint what they can do next to move forward? You know, we're, I talk a lot about broad things, um, you know, particularly in the standard and the endorsement about making policy changes or making wide commitments. 
but the most common way that moves forward is that one student. Um, one student who is not at your school, but what a blessing it would be if they could be. And so I encourage any listeners to, to talk to that family. If there's a kid you know of who's a sibling, who's doing something else, talk to that family about why they're not there. When we think about like, okay, who's going to come to our school? Oftentimes, based on the number of phone calls I get from parents around the country, they might not know they can come to your school and ask the question. They have been rejected over and over from other places, churches too. What a powerful testimony when we can reach out and say, tell me about your kid. Tell me more about what their gifts are, what their loves are, what their strengths are. Tell me what kind of things they need around them in order to be successful. And I think just making some of those first steps out are, are just a beautiful testimony to the gospel and, and shares it. Um, there are students in our schools where we don't necessarily get all of the information that we want about them. But when we start that conversation with, we just want to get to know them better as a child of God, that can really help open the doors. When we do make that commitment, it, it really opens the doors to getting more information as well, to saying, if there's a diagnosis in your past, that's not an automatic, we can't serve you. We want to talk about you as a student and get to know you and what supports would need to be in place for you to be successful. And then we determine whether we can provide those, but, but we have to start with getting to know every single student and looking far past any diagnosis. Great. You know, as we're, we're talking through next steps and, and as school leaders and teachers would be talking with these families and of students that aren't yet there, I can imagine, you know, again, having worked in schools that a number of fears might come up uh, for school leaders and for teachers. Can you just sort of off the top of your head, when you talk with schools, and I know you do consulting with schools and you work with them, what are some of the fears that you hear that come up and, and how do you address some of those? Well, one of the biggest fears is that we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> and that's, that can be very scary. Um, and that's where we can come in. We have 30 plus years of experience doing inclusive education in Christian schools. Uh, we work with more than 70 schools in nine states. Uh, our goal is to come alongside a school and get to know their community and encourage them and walk with them on their journey. And what we do is we can take best practices from other Christian schools and share it with you as well. So you know you're not alone in stepping out in faith. It can be a lonely place to be, and, and that's what we're here to do. We're here to give you that confidence to be able to say to parents, you know, we don't know a whole lot about that, but we know who to call to find out. And that's our role in that is, is to, to bolster schools, to make this possible, to make it doable, to, to make sure that you are, are doing what's best for every student. Great. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Elizabeth. I do encourage our listeners to uh, check out the podcast notes for uh, the CLC Network's website uh, so they can take a look at the resources. And thanks so much for all the work that you do for our schools. Thank you, Lynn. It's a pleasure. And for our listeners, thanks for joining us today as well. Please be sure to check the notes on this podcast for additional resources and references related to today's conversation. Podcast notes can always be found on the ACSI blog at blog.acsi.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, 
please subscribe to the blog again at blog.acsi.org, or you can also subscribe on iTunes. While you're there, rate or review the show and spread the word on social media. Thanks for all that you do to move Christian education forward.